Welcome to the podcast that takes you back in time to rewind and relive all things nostalgia in the world of professional wrestling. Get ready to go beyond the bell. With your host, ring announcer, Sean Beckerman. We continue on with the 605 Saturday Night Tradition known as World Championship Wrestling. Part two of this series relives the greatest jobbers in Saturday Night History. And we also take a look back at our favorite memories of the Superstation and WCW. All this and more after our quick break. We cover the job squad of WCW Saturday Night. The High Spots Wrestling Network is proud to partner with Beyond the Bell and is offering my old school fans one free month of the largest independent wrestling network. Using the promo code BTB in all caps, new accounts will gain access to over 2,000 hours and counting of premium wrestling content. The High Spots Network features top worldwide promotions such as PWG, Progress, Rev Pro UK, WXW, and WSU. Start your free trial today of the High Spots Wrestling Network. Systems operating within normal design parameters. Engage cybernetic generation sequence. Welcome back to Beyond the Bell. Now, let's take a look back at the 10 greatest jobbers of WCW Saturday Night. The only downside to Saturday Night was that my favorite wrestlers weren't wrestling each other. You didn't really see the top superstars wrestle on a consistent basis towards the the latter tenure of WCW Saturday Night. It was seldom that you'd see Raven take on DDP or Benoit put on a clinic with Booker T on WCW's so-called C-Show. Those types of matches were generally reserved for Nitro and then later Thunder on TBS. But if they weren't wrestling each other, who would they face? They had to wrestle somebody. Enter the Jobber. All so generic, yet almost magically all so unique at the same time. Their mullets and sequin jackets endear them to us, and whether we like to admit it or not, we all had our favorites. You won't find Yuji Nagata, Ernest the Cat Miller, or Sick Boy here. No, 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 no. They are all too highbrow for this list. These are the men who, week in and week out, would step through the futuristic sliding doors, prance their way through the heavy fog that was always emitted from the entryway on WCW Saturday night, and promptly receive a spear and jackhammer for their troubles. It's a dirty job, but somebody had to do it. We look back at the 10 greatest jobbers in WCW Saturday night history. Let's start off with High Voltage at number 10. High Voltage had 
the most potential of anybody on this list, you can say. Looking at them, you could easily believe that either man could experience a Scott Steinerish breakout. They certainly had the physiques. Unfortunately for Rage and Chaos, their biggest career win might have been against hard work Bobby Walker and beautiful Bobby Eaton. Not exactly stuff that legends are made of. High Voltage, we saw them on Nitro and Thunder compete in tag team, uh, you could say, encounters. I wouldn't say classic against the likes of Harlem Heat. You know, we saw them against the Steiner Brothers, the different versions of the NWO, the Faces of Fear, Public Enemy. They were involved with popular tag teams, but on WCW Saturday Night, they were one of the best jobbers of all time. At number nine, we look at Mark Starr with two R's, I might add. Mark Starr is one of the few jobbers on this list that to have pay-per-view experience on his resume. Losing to the likes of Alex Wright, Sergeant Craig Pitbull Pittman, and Road Warrior Hawk over a string of pay-per-views in 1995. He'll most fondly be remembered, however, as part of a tag team with Who Better Than Canyon? Chris Canyon, known collectively as Men at Work. We all love that tag team, didn't we? The pair of construction workers may have been a successful, if not for Canyon's, basically his need for taking measurements with this tape measure at critical points of their matches. Maybe they would have been successful if he didn't turn around to take a measurement of a turnbuckle. Poor Mark Starr. Who knows what could have been? We saw him plenty of times on WCW Saturday Night do the job for top stars of the company. At number eight, El Dandy. Prior to El Dandy, people have been taught that luchadors were high-flying small guys in masks. That's what everyone thought. We saw it in ECW. We saw it at AAA, CMLL in Mexico. And then the rules changed. El Dandy, or as the non-Spanish-speaking fan might like to say, the Dandy, was none of those things. He was portly, maskless, and and if people remember correctly, his primary moves included being punched and kicked by, by slightly more successful jobbers. El Dandy's inclusion on this list is a representation of WCW's low-card lucha contingency. Guys like Silver King and Super Kalo were omitted to avoid redundancy, but those type of individuals could be added to this list. Those luchadors outside of psychosis, uh, Juventud Guerrera, Rey Mysterio, those top luchadors. The, the next tier, you could say the mid-tier, would be the La Parcas and so on. And then from there, you had the Silver Kings, the El Dandies, the you know, uh, Super Colos, those type of superstars. Maybe we should throw in the Amazing JL, possibly. But those type of stars were the lower-tier luchadors and served as great jobbers for WCW Saturday Night. At number seven, Rick Fuller comes to our list. Rick Fuller was the Giants' favorite whipping boy. Sometimes it almost seemed like WCW granted Paul White his own personal jobber in the form of this spectacular jobber. Somehow, despite his rich history of losing, Fuller managed to find himself included as a playable character in multiple WCW video games for the original PlayStation, which I always found so <laughs> shocking and, and mysterious. Why is Rick Fuller in my game? Then again, a snowman named Whitey and an 
actual bear were part of selectable rosters too. So you have to put that in mind. Rick Fuller, a bear, could go hand in hand. And number six, Gentleman Chris Adams. The gentleman was a world-renowned wrestler, as Tanae would often remind us, Iron Mike Tanae. But that doesn't change the fact that he was strictly used as an enhancement talent in WCW, and only that, wrestling most, if all, of his matches on Saturday nights. Chris Adams' two biggest feuds were with Glacier, with whom he fought over who had the better super kick, believe it or not, and with Chip Minton. That's right, folks, Chip Minton. I'll just leave it at that. At number five, Hardbody Harrison. Yes, Hardbody Harrison. Sometimes Hardbody, sometimes Hardbody Harrison, sometimes Hardbody Harris. This dude was a jobber through and through. Amazingly, he struggled even more in the real world than he did inside the squared circle. In 2008, old Hardbody was sentenced to life in prison on account of holding women as prisoners and forcing them into prostitution. Other charges brought, were brought against him, conspiracy, witness tampering, and aggravated sexual abuse. Maybe he should have stuck to putting over Ming. Uh, so Hardbody Harrison is one of the greatest jobbers in WCW history. Now he's jobbing in prison. Disorderly conduct comes in at number four. The parts were greater than the sum of the whole, or that's the motto, right, when it came to disorderly conduct. The best aspect of their team was their individual ring names, Tough Tom and Mean Mike. They were Saturday night staples, wrestling fans, and outside of the last <laughs> that needed to be had at the expense of their inadvertently comedic awfulness, they brought virtually nothing to the table. Tough Tom, Mean Mike. Number three. Yes, fans, we're rolling on with even greater jobbers. The Gambler. Yes, I said it. The Gambler. Yes, I said it. The Gambler. The Gambler has a clear leg up on every other enhancement talent on this list. He had props. It was rare enough for a mid-90s jobber to have an actual gimmick, but for a perpetual loser to carry items to the ring with him to further his character... Unheard of. The gambler was to can't buy a win hopeless last string jobbers what Gallagher was to stand up comedy, if that makes sense. He tried hard, and by constantly flashing play card, uh, playing cards on the, at the camera, he made sure we never forgot he was a gambler. The gambler, ladies and gentlemen. Number two, Roadblock. Oh, man. Weighing in at number two is another prop-wielding curtain-jerker, Roadblock. Roadblock was simply known as Block to his friends. He was a perfect big guy jobber. Look at him. His straggly, dirty blonde mop, his pasty white complexion, and flabby chest. His enthusiasm over carrying his, his namesake to the ring was oh, so... <laughs> So pathetic and true jobberish. He's a model for every young aspiring jobber whose frame is big enough to fit the mold. This one's for you, Mr. Block. Roadblock lost many times in epic form to top superstars 
on Saturday Night Programming. And number one, coming in at number one on this list, Jerry Flynn. You got it. Flynn. Jerry Flynn, the little jobber that could. What endeared me to Jerry was the fact that he had seemingly no knowledge of his role within the company, refusing to accept that he would always be low man on the WCW totem pole. Flynn did everything he could to distance distance himself from the rest of the bum squad. He jawed at the fans whenever he approached the ring, trying to generate heat. He got a fancy new ring robe. He even started a program with Tank Abbott towards the end of the promotion's lifespan, a feud whose payoff uh, the match culminated with Flynn being knocked out in under two minutes. Despite his best efforts to shed the stigma... Flynn will always be remembered as Goldberg's primary source of street fodder. The guy had to account for at least 60 of the man's 173 wins. But hey, Flynn believed in Jerry Flynn, so I believed in Jerry Flynn, which is why he's honored here with the status of number one of the top 10 jobbers in WCW Saturday Night History. If you say you're too good for Saturday Night's, then you have my support, Jerry. And with that, our list of WCW Saturday Night's biggest jobbers is complete. Who was your favorite regular on Saturday night? Any Joey Mags fans in the house? Did did you absolutely adore Mike Anos? What about Wayne Bloom? Beverly's, should I say? If a jobber close to your heart was omitted from this list, fear not. Perhaps someday we'll feature a companion list which we can look over WCW's worldwide sorriest saps if we go to, to that era or WCW main event. Maybe we'll jump on that during those glory days at Universal Studios. Oh, boy. Thank you, fans, for enduring that one. Uh, and, of course, towards the later tenure of WCW was, of course, Barry Horowitz. But he's reserved for the World Wrestling Federation, of course. Pat on your back, Barry Horowitz. But we have our top ten list right there of WCW's greatest jobbers in Saturday Night History. Fans, real quick, let's look at some of the greatest matches on the, on the history of WCW Saturday Night that we saw throughout the years. In 1997, December 27th, to be exact, Scott Hall took on Ray Trailer on Saturday Night, which was a great, great encounter between the two. Scott Hall's very, I think he's very underrated for the performances he had, considering the, the issues he went through and the, the problems he had personally in his life, he still was able to go out there in the ring and perform yeah, perform great matches and, and underrated matches and a lot of matches that went under the radar. And when you look back at it and you can say, wow, that was a good match. And Scott Hall put on a great match with Ray Trailer in December of 97. We all know from the Jake, Jake Roberts era in WCW how unusual that was. But August 22nd of 92, Jake Roberts took on Marcus Alexander Bagwell, Buff Bagwell, uh, which was a good match. Jake had a great, great mind for the business and still does. I wish he had a role in the business to this day as an agent or producer. But he's able able to, to run a great match and be a great general. At the time, Marcus Bagwell was a rookie in WCW. Um, and Jake Roberts led him to a great encounter on August 22nd in the year 1992. A great match from the Saturday Night Era towards, you could say, transitioning from Georgia Championship Wrestling to World Championship Wrestling. In 1986, the Barbarian took on Magnum TA. 
Magnum TA had great matches as well that went under the radar. The Barbarian was starting to come up in WCW, the National Wrestling Alliance. This big, this huge guy being managed by Paul Jones, this big, massive guy who can tackle him. He looks so powerful, so awesome against the jobbers on Saturday nights that Magnum TA was able to be the guy that could step up to the Barbarian and give him a run for his money. And this was Mag- this was when Magnum was getting red hot in WCW, and they put on a great match on January 4th of 1986. We look 10 years after that great encounter at 1996, Diamond Dallas Page versus Billy Kidman. This is when Diamond Dallas was converting. He was a manager in the early 90s of WCW. Then he went to the power plant, honed his skills, showed tapes to, to officials, showed tapes to Eric Bischoff. Started to get more ring time. And we saw the, the evolution of Diamond Dallas Page. I can't wait to focus on a superstar spotlight where we get to look back at the career of DDP. But uh, he was starting to have some great matches around that time frame where he was starting to get noticed. And he really did his homework, and he really worked hard to be better in the ring. I have to give him kudos for that. But he and Billy Kidman, Billy Kidman was, he looked like a real kid at the time. You know, he wore the, the long tights, very, you could say very indie-esque, if I could use a term from Kevin Nash. But the match that DDP and Kidman had Saturday night on the 31st, 96 of August, was a pretty good encounter between the two. Sid Vicious versus Mark Merrow from WCW Saturday Night on March 2nd of 1991. This is when Mark Merrow was Johnny B. Bad. And we saw Sid emerging, you know, becoming this big monster in WCW. They put on a pretty good match considering you had Sid in the ring. Big guy versus the agile, you know, um, high flyer at the time as Johnny B. Bad was. They put on a great match on, on March 2nd of 91. And then another great match that comes to mind, of course, is Sting versus Lord Steven Regal in February of 94, February 5th to be exact. Sting, you know, had great matches in the early 90s, coming off the great feud he had with the Nature Boy, Ric Flair. But Lord Steven Regal, another underrated performer in the days of WCW. We all know how great he is in World Wrestling Entertainment and the history he's had with the company, still being employed with the company. I think they should be doing something with, with him currently. A producer or agent role could follow for the individual. But the matches he had in WCW, we need, you need to look back at that one. Another guy, I can't wait to look back at a superstar spotlight edition and look back at the career of Lord Steven Regal, William Regal now. But him and Sting had a great match in 94, and I think you need to look back from that 94 to 96 era of Regals and look back at the great matches he had on pay-per-view and Saturday nights. All right, we're back at Disney MGM. We told you last week Sting is new international world champion. He had these comments after his win. All I have to say is woo and ow and yow, yes. It feels good. This is number four now, and I always knew I had it in my blood. Right after the heat of the battle, talk about blood. Thank God it's not mine this time. It's ravishing Rick Rude's. Yeah, I had to cheat a little bit to get you to sign on the dotted line, but I'm not complaining. You know why? Because that's the gold belt right there, the world heavyweight title, and it's mine once again. And as far as Harley Race sticking his nose in in the beginning of a prestigious match like the world heavyweight championship and trying to tell me that Vader wants me, he wants Rude, he wants the winner of the match, well, I got news for you. You know me a long time now. Same with you, Vader. Did you think I was going to run? Did you think I was going to say no? No way. That's not in my blood. If you want me, if you want the title, I'm all yours. I'm not running. I'm just feeling good. That's 
from Sting. Now, fans, before we go to our next match, some friction has developed over the past couple of weeks between Lord Steven Regal and Larry Zabisco, the legend. Take a look at a recent incident. That's Brian Bryan, Mr. Legend. I hope you can hold the microphone this week. Remember, Elvis Presley was a legend, and he's dead. Now, I suppose you grow up watching the heroes the same as Flying Brian. Now he wants to be a hero, just like the heroes that you people grow up with. I mean, who have we got here? Buddy Ryan. I believe this man punches his own team players. The way you people let this Nancy Carrigan girl mix your emotions was quite pathetic. And the biggest, most unbelievable thing of all was John Wayne. I mean, here we have a draft dodger, never went to war, and yet you people treat him as some kind of hero. Absolutely pathetic. And now, you idiots, you fools, give millions and millions of dollars to the Russians, and they spy on you. You're all fools. That's it, that's it. Look it, your lordship. I just paid enough income tax to build housing for the homeless people. I can say whatever I want about this country because I bought the right. As far as I'm concerned, you can just shut up. Just shut up. I hope Brian Ryan breaks your neck. Here, I don't need this. Well, we can deduct the real interview since the legend is gone. Brian Pillman. How dare he have the audacity? You bloody coward, come back here and say to my bloody face, you legend want to watch what I do to find Brian because he might just as well happen to you. William, come on. And then I just want to end it with this great encounter. Everyone knows this match. Quite frankly, it was Ricky Steamboat's last match as an active competitor. And that was with stunning Steve Austin. The date was March 12, 1994. Look back at that match. It's on Stone Cold's Ultimate Collection, I believe, the DVD. with uh, It's a three-disc set that um, has the entire career of Stone Cold on DVD for our viewing pleasure. I highly advise you fans to check out the match if you have it, and that truly is the definition, though that match was the true definition of storytelling. And you really saw the capabilities of one Steve Austin. I knew it two years prior when I when I finally was able to, to get a look at Steve Austin in the ring, and then around the 93-94 mark, I really saw, I said, wow, this guy, Austin's good. You know, I, I just liked him. And I'm not just saying that. I said it. Even as the stunning Steve Austin character, I liked him. There was something about him. He was great in the ring, great character. I said, this, this guy is good. And this match was the definition of that. Steamboat, towards the latter portion of his career, finishing up his career, he quite frankly didn't really know it was going to end at the time. And Austin was growing in popularity. His career was just beginning. And the two had a great match culminating on March 12th of 1994. You will not regret it. Last week, fans will never forget the comments from Hulk Hogan. Ric Flair will never forget them either. And here's his reaction to those comments. All right, fans, we've got more exciting action coming up here in just a moment or two. My guest at this time, and I can hardly wait this week to get him out here, the WCW heavyweight champ, the nature boy, Ric Flair. In light of those very interesting comments last week, by the immortal Hulk Hogan. I just had to hear what you were going to say this week, Ric Flair. Well, Gene, as I said to you last week, I'm flattered that Hulk Hogan 
has a renewed interest, not only in the greatest sport in the world, professional wrestling, but obviously a renewed interest in being number one. That's why my name comes up repeatedly. However, as you know, last week, Steamboat won a big match over the U.S. champion, Steve Austin. So Steamboat got the title shot in Chicago. Now, back to Hogan. Wait a minute, don't you think we should give Hogan a rest and talk about Steamboat since he's going to be your opponent I think since you, a close friend of mine, have the audacity week after week, Gene, to refer to Hulk Hogan, a great movie star, a guy who's got his own series, as the immortal Hulk Hogan in my presence, knowing that Ric Flair, knowing it very well, is the only 11-time world heavyweight champion, then it would be in my best interest to say to Eugene, go back to Orlando, get Bobby Heenan, get Hogan in a very close, secure area, and ask Hulk one more time just exactly what his intentions are and just exactly what he sees as a future in WCW. Okay, wait a minute. I, I, I will make a promise to you. I'll try to get to Hogan sometime this week. Down at Disney MGM. One of the top wrestling shows in all of the land resided on TBS and went to air each and every weekend. It was WCW Saturday Night, born out of the ashes of Georgia Championship Wrestling and a failed attempt at promoting the WWF product on the Superstation. Saturday Night turned out to be one of the most important wrestling TV shows of all time. It represented a truly remarkable transitional show in the world of professional wrestling. On one hand, it wasn't altogether different from the WWF and its programming and syndication at one time. It aired over the weekend and relatively early, so the kids didn't need to stay up late to see it. The show featured a lot of squash matches, building up storylines on the main roster to look like a star and a believable contender on house shows and pay-per-views. It was designed to build up the superstars for the future of the company. On the other hand, WCW was trying some new things. While this was an early evening program, the fact that it did happen on Saturday nights made it a cool and convenient time that a bunch of guys could get together to watch the show over some beers before heading out for the night. Of course... You could say pure speculation, of course, given, you know, I was about, let's say, maybe 14, 10 to 14 during the heyday of the WCW Saturday Night Era, and when it, we could say it was at its hottest. Okay, Jim, Barry Wyndham will be in that tournament a little bit later on here on WCW Saturday Night, but he had something he wanted to say to Flying Brian. He wanted us here with him to hear this, Barry. You know, first of all, Pillman, I've been working on something here for a while but I've had my priorities a little bit wrong. They've been in the wrong place. Now I've got the World Heavyweight Championship staring me right in the face. I've got the United States Heavyweight Tournament right here today. But I'll tell you what I've done. And I'm not going to be like other people that we know. But I've gone out and I've found a man that I want to be your partner. And I know, we've discussed this, that he can be the World Tag Team Champion with you. Now, this man held the World Television Championship longer than any man alive. And he was only beaten once, and that was by me. But I'll tell you what, two weeks later, 
he took the championship away from me. The guy I'm talking about is somebody that's not going to leave you hanging in a balance and somebody you can count on when the going gets rough. And the man's name is Austin, and he's right over here. And Pillman, he's ready to back you up 100%. All right, stunning Steve Austin. I'll tell you what, Shivani, it's got to boggle your imagination to think of the impact the three of us are going to have in this sport. Barry Windham, future world champion. And then think of the dominance that can be achieved when you bring two world-class athletes together and they mesh as one. When you take those talents and abilities and you focus on a common goal, you create an unbeatable machine. You take a real good look at this trio right here because it's going to be a familiar sight in the world title picture for a long time to come. You know, Tony, I don't need or care to have anyone tell me how great a wrestler I am because, believe me, I know and the people know I held the world television title longer than anyone in history. And I'm going to bring that same ingredient that it takes to be a champion in our quest for the world tag team champions. It's, not, it's something that I can't explain. Brian and I aren't like every other wrestler. We don't just go out there and wrestle for the sake of wrestling. We have a need to have a belt around our waist, and that need may turn to greed. And we will be unstoppable as a team, Tony. Count on it. Okay. In addition, the show did feature a share of significant matches and moments. Because Saturday Night was at its hottest before WCW was really competitive with the WWF, you could tell the company felt, it felt a lot less pressure to hotshot their booking or go for a shock value. This meant that Saturday Night was the platform for Ric Flair and Ricky Steamboat to have... You know, one of the last great technical rivalries in history of of this business. And their second go around in '94 is when they had great feud, great matches between the two that just extended their feud. And it happened on WCW Saturday Night. Of course, on the con side, WCW's relative obscurity meant that the powers that be were comfortable promoting a storyline that featured Cactus Jack wandering the streets in a powerbomb-seduced state of amnesia. In either case, the company was thinking differently, and I'll credit it for that. WCW Saturday Night also has the, the dubious distinction of pioneering the interactive wrestling show. Next on Saturday Night, fans call the shots and decide tonight's main event in television first live interactive wrestling program. Dragon Ricky Steamboat tackles Texas Outlaw, Shanghai Pierce. Fan favorite stars and strikes take on his feminine eagle maniac, Mr. Wonderful Paul Lorndorf, and Pretty Paul Roma. It's all next live on WCW Saturday night. They are standing and cheering in Atlanta, Georgia, as WCW Saturday night. Shivani, Bobby the Brain Heenan, me, Gene Oakland, will be joined in a few moments by Gordon Soley and Eric Bischoff. Tonight, history will be made because you, the fans, 
can decide tonight's main event by calling our very special interactive hotline. First time ever for WCW, for professional wrestling, and the first time ever for TBS. Well, I got to tell you something, Tony. This has got to be every fan's dream to actually pick the main event tonight. Everybody I talk to, this is their lifelong dream. Brain, you pick one. Well, talk to me about it. As far as I'm concerned, this is totally ludicrous to turn over the reins of WCW to the humanoids to allow them to make a match. It's totally ridiculous. Let's go right now to Gordon Soley in one of the locker rooms. Well, I'll tell you what, Tony, you're right. History will be made tonight, and somebody from here in the blue locker room will indeed be in the main event. And you can see these... Wait a minute, gentlemen. You can see these names on the screen right now, and uh, these are the gentlemen that you may vote on tonight to be in the main event. We invite you to call the 900 Special Line. It is history in the making tonight. And right now, it's time to go on down to the Red Locker Room and our compatriot, Eric Bischoff. All right, thank you, Gordon. As you can see, I am back here in the Red Locker Room, and things are getting extremely tense. But you fans, you have the opportunity to call the shot. Call the 900 line. You tell us the main event that you want to see. These guys are ready. Pick up that phone. Like I said, it is getting nuts back here. Let's go back to the set. Thank you very much, Eric Bischoff and Gordon Soley. As you can tell, it's wild all over Atlanta for WCW. Fans, you decide. You make the call. And as you know, fans, we have our special 900 number. One from the red, one from the blue locker room. I saw Sting in one locker room, his name, and Ric Flair in the red locker room. And I know Sting would like to get another shot at Ric Flair. First of all, Ric Flair is not one of the contestants. I mean, Sherry, his manager, is not allowed here. Obviously, that man is not going Wait to Wait a minute. No, hold on. Just a second. If the fans vote for Flair, they want to see Flair sting. That match will take place. Flair won't have any choice. Then we'll make it very simple. You people at home, put the phone down, sit on your sofa, watch the show, and keep your mouth shut. Simple. We'll get along just fine. Fans, we are one week away from Bash at the Beach. We are awaiting the arrival of Hulk Hogan. As we await his arrival here in Atlanta, let's take a look at this very special video leading up to the biggest match ever, Ric Flair and Hulk Hogan. around you and say, oh, so when are you going to get back in the ring? He's got the red, white, blue his but don't you have unfinished business, Hogan? He was born and raised in the U.S. of A. Can you beat the man, Ric Flair? To be the man, you've got to beat the man. He's American, American, man. The talk is on the street that Hulk Hogan still rules. And now WCW is about to dominate the globe in professional wrestling. I'm going to set my sights on Ric Flair, and I challenge you. Hogan, you've made the mistake of a lifetime. This is the one that people have been waiting millenniums for. Let's end the myth. Let's find out who the legend is. Let's find out who the real heavyweight champion is. 
A lot of excitement for Bash of the Beach next Sunday. And as you can see, we are looking right now down West Beach Street Street here in Atlanta. Atlanta's finest are here. The Motor Gate Hulk Hogan has arrived. Well, it's obvious to me, Shabani. He can't make change or he'd be on Marta where he belongs. Hulk Hogan arriving here at the arena tonight at WCW Saturday night. And BG, you'll be talking to the Hulkster here live tonight. You know, he tells me he's got a big surprise for us, so I can hardly wait. And Jimmy Hart, the mouth of the South, is going to be with them. Hulk Hogan with some big surprise. What an addition to World Championship Wrestling. Fans, you can make the choice tonight. Get on the horn. Call our special interactive number. You will decide tonight's main event. And we'll be going back to the dressing rooms to have our first matchup right after this timeout on TBS. Coming up next, live on WCW Saturday night, the team of Dustin Rose and Arn Anderson. Next. Welcome back, and we are live in the red locker room. The world heavyweight champion, Ric Flair, Parker and Associates, Terry Funk, Ming, everybody, and Harley Race, Vader. And Vader, you've got something you said you wanted to tell the fans. What is it? Ladies and gentlemen, you got the man talking at you. That's right, the bullet, if you will. I feel no man, and I feel no pain. So I must ask you now, what time is it? What time is it? Ladies and gentlemen, y'all know what time it is. It's Vader time. And it's also time to pick up that phone and dial that number, brother. Because we're going to get it on right now. And we're going to end that lie. The guardian angels been living. We're going to end it right here. Give me the opportunity. I'm begging you. Give me the opportunity. Pick up that phone. We're running out of time. He wants, he wants Guardian Angel tonight. Let's go over to the blue locker room at Gordon Soley. All right, you are, and I'll tell you what, I do have Sting and Brian Pillman, Johnny B. Bad, and a host of others with me right now. But we just heard the comments from Vader, and he, uh, he's he got you on the 17th, but he looks like, how about tonight? Everybody knows how bad I hate Vader. Everybody knows the public hates Vader. Let me do what I do best. Pick up that phone, dial that 1-900 number. Let me get in the ring. Let me kick Vader and Harley Race's butt. Give it to me, because that's what I want. Give it to me now. All right, Tom Hunt from the 900 line said the calls are coming in. Make your call now. And now let's go to Gary Michael Capetta. The WWE has been giving fans voting rights for years now through Tabo Tuesday and Cyber Sunday. TNA tried its hand at such a show in their in their recent history. Uh, with their first live impact nearly, nearly a decade before any of this, though, WCW invited fans to vote, come into their program and vote on their show and give their idea or give their opinion of who they want wrestling each other, who they want contending for a championship. The idea was years ahead of its time, though the execution left for something to be desired. For one, fans needed to call a 900 number to vote. In addition, choices were limited, as fans had the opportunity to vote for one of a selection of faces and one of a selection of heels to go head-to-head. I couldn't help but question the validity of the voting when the fans, quote-unquote, chose to have you know, a certain babyface star that was rivaling another star, such as a Sting or Ric Flair going head-to-head, or you question a certain guy that the WWE was pushing at the time that conveniently 
got selected by the fans, even though a lot of fans may not have even heard who the star was. So you can question that, but we still question to this day certain selections during Power to the People or fan voting. The icing on the cake, though, came in the revelation that wrestlers were cutting promos leading up to these fan-selected matches a full week before the voting began. I'm not sure WCW even bothered with live broadcasts for some of these shows. A less uncertain distinction of Saturday Night was that it was the last place where Jesse the Body Ventura plied his trade as a commentator. Many remember Ventura's mic work for the way he called some of the early WrestleManias. I would argue the guy was all the better in his early 90s WCW run, making some truly horrific stuff watchable and carrying Tony Schiavone to to decent shows. He was great in WrestleMania. He was great with Gorilla Monsoon. You know, people say that they thought he mailed it in in WCW. I thought he made the show enjoyable and and watchable at an era where it was truly tough tough to sit down and, and watch a full program without getting up and or changing the channel. Ricky, the Dragon Steamboat in action. And joining me right now is the WCW heavyweight champ. Yes, one of a kind, the real McCoy, if you will. The nature boy, Ric Flair. Ric Flair, before we talk about Ricky Steamboat, before we talk about your title defense at Spring Stampede, recently there's been a great deal of buzz at World Championship Wrestling, and it involves an old friend of, well, I guess both of ours. I want you to take a listen to comments made last week right here by Hulk Hogan. Ever since you were here, all the way from Venice Beach, California, to Disneyland, right here at MGM, they've been asking the same question. Hulk Hogan, is it over? Hulk Hogan, are you going to get in the ring? And Hulk Hogan, can you beat Ric Flair right in the center of the ring, brother? Well, I'm not going to ask you again, Hulk, but what is your answer? I'll tell you what my answer is, dude. Something's eating me alive, man, and that's the fact. It's not all the people on the beach. It's not all the people all over the world from Africa, Asia, North Pole, South Pole, and all points in between. It's a simple fact that just the other night, brother, when I was tucking Nicholas in bed, four years old, dude, he looked at me and says, Daddy, I've watched the tapes of you wrestle. I saw that you were the greatest of all time. But, Daddy, can you beat the man, Ric Flair? Me and Gene, it was like ice-cold water running up through my veins, dude. Pan that camera down, brother, on the largest arm in the world. It was like the ice-cold veins running up the pythons, brother. My blood turned to ice-cold water as I looked at Nicholas. And I said, I don't know, son. I don't know, son, if I'll ever meet him in the ring. I don't know, son, if I was in the ring, if I could ever beat him. But I can tell you one thing, me and Gene. As Brutus Beefcake stands as my witness, dude, if I ever decide to climb in the ring, you'll be the first one to know. And Ric Flair, if I get my chance, will feel the wrath of the 24-inch pythons, dude. Well, Ric Flair, I think it's abundantly clear what Hulk Hogan has on his mind. It sure is. Can you imagine... A man in Hollywood, a movie star, or whatever he is, trying to gain recognition again through talking on a television camera to the world's heavyweight champion. What are you going to do, Ric Flair, when those 24-inch pythons run wild on you? Well, let's go back a little earlier in the comments when you said... That when you laid your son down to bed, he looked into your eyes and he said, Daddy, can you beat Ric Flair? Well, 
Nicholas, if you understand English at your age, the answer is yes. You may wish, you may hope, and you may dream that in yesteryear, you are the best. The bottom line is, Nicholas, I can beat your dad just like that. You got it? Just like that. And let's go one step further. Since coming up at the Stampede, I'm wrestling the great Ricky Steamboat. Hogan, maybe you ought to come first class. I'll send you a ticket. I'll send a little jet. How about sitting ringside with Charles Barkley, Michael Jordan, and all my other entourage? And watching firsthand as the nature boy does what he does best. And that's defend the world title and win another world title match. In other words, Hogan, why don't you come to Chicago and come to the victory party, brother? You know, down. in all due respect, Rick Flair, this all might be a little premature. This celebration might be coming a little too early. <laughs> no. No. Hold on. Just a second, Ricky. There you go again. There you go again. There you go again, nature boy. There you go again. And what I'm trying to tell you, wait a minute, Gene. What I'm trying to tell you is there you go again, putting the cart before the horse. Your match with me has not taken place, and you're out here telling everybody about your victory party with all your buddies. Barkley, Jordan, now you invite Hulk Hogan. Who do you think I am? Some kind of pushover? My track record speaks for itself. I earned this spot, and I'm going to wrestle you on the 17th and take that gold from your waist. You're right. I was on a line and I was on a place. Can you imagine inviting Hogan to the party when all I have to do, as a matter of fact, Gene, let's put something together in the next half hour. Next week, right here, I'll invite you to sit in the front row right over there. And Hogan, you and your kid, turn on the TV. You watch firsthand too because you, Steamboat, can sit in the front row. Maybe you have forgotten what it's like to be close to greatness, pal. Maybe you have forgotten what it looks like to see greatness in action. Next week, right here, give me a match. The Nature Boy will be in the ring. And pal, I would take the time out of my schedule to watch it firsthand. Tasted greatness before, Claire. I've had that gold around my waist, and it was that man right there that I beat. I've tasted greatness, and I know what it feels like to walk that aisle. And I'm going to accept that invitation. Rick Claire, I'll be here, eyes open, ears open, mind just to thinking on every move you make here next week. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I can Finally. Saturday night joined other WCW programming and being important for the way in which it inadvertently exposed the business and helping terminate kayfabe. This was part of Eric Bischoff's plan to save money and rebuild the company. Despite a rare few live episodes, WCW generally recorded several weeks of TV at a time in front of essentially the same audience. In the same arena at Universal Studios, it wasn't altogether different from TNA's current recording process, but was a bit more egregious in just how far ahead they taped. 
notoriously exposing title changes and heel face turns by recording promos and angles, and which effectively, well, you could say inadvertently spoiling them before the pay-per-view has actually occurred. Therefore, you know, you would know ahead of time before the dirt sheets, the internet wasn't as popular then, but if you read Observer newsletters or, you know, were able to get some sort of newsletter or magazine publication, you would know the spoilers and you would know down the line there was going to be a title change before the pay-per-view a month from now. This wasn't quite the debacle it would have been if today with the internet wrestling community as prominent as as it's grown, but... Nonetheless, this manner of doing business gave Dirt Sheets plenty of ammo and inadvertently must have smarted up quite a few of the would-be marks who went to the matches because they knew it was spoiled. Most most fans don't give WCW Saturday Night much thought today, but that's why I wanted to look back at the history of the, this program on the Superstation and how make make or have the fans understand how important this was to the wrestling industry? Ah, macho Elizabeth saw the nature boy, and just like the Baywatch girls, she broke down, had to have it, and she moved on to a bigger, brighter life with the nature boy. Did she go to Space Mountain? You know she did, baby. And last night. National television, I bring out the Space Mountain's reminiscence of the lifestyle of the nature boy to point out to you, macho. For all of its highlights and lowlights, the show remains one of the most important staples in the history of this business. Without the Superstation and Saturday Night, wrestling won't be where it is today. I truly believe that. Wrestling was a major part of programming on TBS ever since Ted Turner launched Atlanta, since he launched the Atlanta-based UHF television. And we look back at the history of the Superstation and how important the moments that took place on the Superstation were in the history of this business. So I want to look back before we finish out at those memories and why they were so special. You know, Ric Flair helped make wrestling on TBS what it is. Yeah, there's a lot of people got a lot on their mind. Everybody thinks they can beat the Mad Dog. Because if they can beat the Mad Dog, there's somebody. You got Pesley, you got Ridge, you got Piper. Everybody thinks there's somebody. But nobody is like the Mad Dog. Yeah. Well, talking about Mr. Piper, uh, I do have... Oh, some... you probably got something of him on film again. Because that's all he's worth is looking at him right on film. He's not mad enough to look at the Mad Dog in his face. Well, we do, as a matter of fact, have a previously recorded videotaped interview of uh, uh, Roddy Piper, so uh, why don't we turn to that at this moment. Take take a look at the monitor, and we'll see what he has to say right now. All right. Well, hot rod here. <laughs> Heard all kinds of interesting things that Buzz Sawyer had to say the other day. <laughs> Talking about Roddy Piper. <laughs> Talking about how he is worldwide championship wrestling. <laughs> Hot rod here. 
Yeah. Says, Piper's nothing but a has-been. Well, you see, let me tell you something, boy. While your mama was sending you to college, become a great amateur wrestler, while she was more peanut butter on your sandwich, Buzzy. Are you okay, Buzzy? While she was whisking you off to school, Jack, I was on my own making myself a living being a professional wrestler. 29 years old now in my prime. You think I ain't paid some dues, Jack? I've been to the whipping post more than once. I've had Valentine. I can't hear out of this ear no more. It don't work. Of course, I don't suppose you'd know what that's like. Because you can't hear out of either one of them, obviously, because you keep talking to all these folks. But all kinds of baloney. You see, I only thing kept me out of college, brother, was high school. Went to went to the went to the school of hard knocks. Black and blue's the colors, Jack. You see, Piper's been a has-been. You see, what you don't understand is this. There's a short story. Goes like this, Sawyer. There's two bulls standing on top of the hill. An old bull and a young bull. Young bull says, let's run down there and get us a date to them cows. Old bull says, let's walk down there and get us a date with all them cows. You see, the difference is, when he have hunting dogs, brother, I don't always listen. See ya, Sawyer. He's talking about having a future. He's talking about being somebody. He's talking about the black and blue marks. Piper, I'm going to show you what a wrestler is. I'm going to show it. Well, we're going to go to the ring because uh, Buzz Sawyer does have a match. Wow. Sawyer in a wicked attack on uh, Wayne Storr. Storr has had no chance whatsoever. Storr is... uh, being demolished by uh, Buzz Sawyer. His skull jammed into the uh, ring and caught again by Sawyer. Sawyer. Almost uh, in a uh, demented rage as he took out after Storr. And Storr has had absolutely no opportunity to do anything. Obviously, when a man like Roddy Piper, who has uh, great style and great wit, and uh, Mr. Sawyer uh, is now venting that frustration and anger on this man's store and uh, being warned by the referee at this point in time. Sawyer catches him again with a forearm, drives him back to the canvas. Come on, Piper! And it's Sawyer venting all of that anger now, saying, come on, Piper, come on, Piper. Well, obviously the time is going to come when... Caught him again. It's over. It is all over. And so Buzz Sawyer... Buzz Sawyer has certainly proven his point in a hurry. Let me tell you something, Patrick. Let me tell you something, Rich. Let me tell you, Piper. When you think there's somebody, when you think there's something that you can do with the mad dog. Sawyer, Sawyer. Wow. Rowdy Piper just exploded. Piper came out of nowhere.
get something restored here as Bill Irwin and we've got a standoff here with uh, Roddy Piper, Wild Bill Irwin. And, uh, well, there's going to have to be some second thoughts on this. Irwin being ordered out of the area right now. And so they're watching each other's backs, that's for sure. Right now, here's a very special word. It started out with Georgia Championship Wrestling, World Championship Wrestling, then Mid-South Championship Wrestling. Then we saw WCW Saturday Night. Then WCW Thunder show up on TBS. So the Superstation built was built off of professional wrestling. And Ric Flair helped make wrestling on TBS what it is today. Like the time the fabulous Freebirds flanned all four tires on Austin Idol's car on Georgia Championship Wrestling, thus making him late for a tag team match with Kevin Sullivan. As the Freebirds were cutting an interview, Idol ran into the studio and apologized to Sullivan, saying he had a flat tire. The Freebirds, the cocky jerks they were, laughed it off as Michael Hayes asked Idol, what, were, what are the odds of you having four flat tires? <laughs> Who said anything about four flat tires, responded the suspicious Idol. I said, oh, flat tire. Idol and Sullivan proceeded to lay out the birds with their, you know, with their slobberknocker style offense in a classic angle that has been rehashed by every promoter ever since. Two days after winning the NWA world title for the very first time, Ric Flair cuts his very first interview as champion on Georgia Championship Wrestling. Put off by having to wait for the program, to, well, for the program's second hours to start, uh, to be introduced as the new champ, Flair let Gordon Sully know about his displeasure. When Flair said, and I quote, I have to say I was a little bit upset sitting in the back watching on the monitor as Georgia Championship Wrestling presents an award to Tommy Rich, who was wrestler of the year at the time, that was voted on by the fans while I'm holding the most coveted trophy in all professional sports, the World Heavyweight Championship. I don't do it justice like the Nature Boy, but... Such an important promo at the time for Ric Flair, making himself the superstar that he that he is and was as the world heavyweight champion. Then there was the Ole Anderson-Dusty Rhodes angle where Ole schemed and plotted for a year to con Rhodes into trusting him. Finally, Rhodes takes Ole as his tag team partner for a cage match at the Omni against the Assassins with Gene Anderson and Ivan Koloff as special referees. For the first time... You know, Dusty tags out, Ole turns on him, and the assassins, Koloff and Gene Anderson, all join in. What an idiot Dusty was at that time. How can he let Ole do that to him? Then there was the angle with Roddy Piper. At the time, a heel-colored commentator came in to rescue Gordon solely after Don Morocco was pushing poor old Gordon around. Or the time killer Carl Cox put a little cigar in Tommy Rich's face. Or about the time Terry Gordy executed four consecutive pile drivers on Ted DiBiase on the cement floor. Or pitchman Freddie Miller hyping upcoming cards at the Omni, encouraging fans to be there. Or Gordon Soley opening every show with his famous refrain, When you see this symbol pointing to the NWA emblem, you are assured of the optimum in professional wrestling. My fondest memory of Georgia Championship Wrestling of course, it was Black Saturday. Not because I was glad to see the WWF on the Superstation, but because I have no prouder moment as a wrestling fan when people from the around the U.S. united and flooded TBS with phone calls and letters demanding that they kick the WWF off the air. Nine months later, McMahon, no longer able to work with Turner, sold his time slots to Crockett, and a new era on TBS began. 
And who knows if that might not have happened. Who, Ted Turner may not have bought WCW and the Monday Night Wars might not have happened. You know, had McMahon held on to the TBS time, slot, time slots, Crockett never would have went national and we would have never had a McMahon monopoly of the business 16 years earlier. Kudos to the brave souls who made a difference. I tell you, it's amazing how pivotal this program was to the world of professional wrestling. One of the classiest moments was WCW's Class of the Champions 20 from Atlanta in the fall of 92, celebrating 20 years of wrestling on TBS. Featuring a live card and historic clips throughout the show, TBS brought back many of the stars from the 70s that helped make wrestling on TBS such a great tradition. It was this show that Andre the Giant made his last public appearance before passing away on January 27th of 1993. King Kong Bundy routinely intimidated commentator Jim Ross, good old JR, during telecasts of Mid-South Championship Wrestling on TBS. But I suppose my fondest memories of the Superstation are of the Jim Crockett promotions. Matchup. We now know that it's going to be the Nature Boy Ric Flair a week from tomorrow night in Philadelphia at Slamboree, defending against Colonel Robert Parker's well-stable stud. We now know that it's going to be Flair. Now I want to know, who is your stable stud? Before I do, let, let me tell you, this here suitcase has become the most popular suitcase in all of the world. I talked about it holding the gold. It's not actually gold that it holds. It's the cash here. I want Mr. Flair now. He's going to be the man to meet my mystery man at Slamboree. Colonel, who is this mystery man? I'll tell you more about that later. You know, Flair... I gotta say it, here you are, a styler and a profiler, that's for sure. But your ignorance has no boundaries to sell out million dollars worth of gold for a hundred thousand dollars in a wore-out suitcase. I want him to come on out here and take hold of it. This here belongs to him now. Oh, no, it, it, I is need that... myself with a handcuff here. All right, hope up. Over 300 pounds. He holds personal animosity against you, and I can't wait for slamboree. This here belongs to you, sir. All right, first of all, congratulations, Nature Boy Ric Flair, and once again, being the WCW heavyweight title holder. What about this mystery man of Colonel Parker? Gene, I have always tried to deal in this sport with issues at hand. In the last month, I've had to deal with one of the greatest of all time, Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. Now, now I'm dealing with a man who I am more than happy to take. We're going to see that one time. Let's show the world what we've got right here. Well, Pop, I've, been, I've been waiting for this a long time. Open it up one time. Open it up. Why don't you hold it right there? Temporarily. Oh! That's the real thing, sir. Gene, with the nature, boy style and profile with that. Are you kidding me? You mean right now, it's mine. We're signing on a dotted line, right? If you take a walk. Oh, well, you know what? This is used in hand now. Just one more. You don't mind, do you? Not at all.
my first exposure to wrestling was watching Mid Atlantic Championship Wrestling, and because we really appreciated the style and the innovative angles, and of course the Nature Boy Ric Flair. From the first time anyone saw the Nature Boy, you could say you were hooked. It would be hard pressed to say that you weren't hooked on wrestling for life. There was just something about the Nature Boy that that spoke to the fans. Flair became a national star thanks to the exposure of Crockett's World Championship Wrestling Program on TBS. And it was he, Flair gave the fans wonderful wrestling memories that last for a lifetime. Like the time that Flair faced Ronnie Garvin on TBS's weekly championship series back in 1885. After a physical 18-minute match that ended in a double disqualification, Dusty Rhodes entered the ring and put the figure four on Flair. The Andersons run in, in and attack Rhodes, and it takes Magnum T.A. and five jobbers, jobbers to come in and make the save for the dream. After the skirmish, Flair makes a beeline to the interview podium where Tony Schiavone and David Crockett were there. And, make, well, they were there commentating on the match and broadcasting and interviewing superstars. Flair goes off in a berserk rage. Get excited. You just saw it. We beat up Ronnie Garvin. We darn near killed Dusty Rhodes, and you know why? He grabbed Shivani by his tie. Let me tell you why. Because we're the best there is. Nature Boy was so flamboyant. The exchanges over the years at the podium between Flair, Crockett, and Shivani were priceless. One time, as he was wrapping up an interview, Flair slipped Tony a couple of hundred-dollar bills and said, Tony, here's a couple hundred, uh, hundred bucks. Go get yourself some decent clothes. I can't have you looking the way you do now, and you're standing out there with the world champion. It's a classic. Go back and watch the Ric Flair DVDs and catch that. Great promo by the Nature Boy. Then there was the time that Ric Flair came out to the podium singing The Wanderer by Dion <laughs> and the Belmonts, and he blared it. You know, And Flair asked, Tony, is it just me or am I looking hot for days? <laughs> it was great. Ric Flair was definitely on something at that time, too. He was riding so high as world champion as the best wrestler in the world. A week after beating Dusty Rhodes with the foreign object the referee Tommy Young did not see, David Crockett grills Flair in an interview. Flair responds, are you wearing a, strip shirt, a striped shirt today, David Crockett? All of a sudden, you represent the referees of the world. Stick to what you know. That's talking into this. And of course, he pointed to the microphone and you know, signing my paycheck every week. I can go off on, on tons of stories of the Nature Boy. It was so priceless. And you could say it was just bullet points. They weren't scripted like today's day and age with superstars. They were given bullet points and just went off from there. Other classic Flair moments on TBS was Flair calling Road Warrior Hawk Chicago gutter trash prior to their one-on-one confrontation, making fun of the Rock and Roll Express and calling all their fans nothing nothing happening, training bra-wearing teeny boppers, you know, cutting a promo prior to the 87 Bash tour where he's going to face 15 different opponents over 30 days, saying he was going to make mo- more money that month than the Boston Celtics forward Larry Bird would make all year. Yeah, okay, nature boy. But Flair telling David Crockett, his real-life boss, to make himself useful and hold his robe while he destroyed some jobber in a squash match. You know, Eddie Gilbert bringing in Ricky Steamboat as ministry partner for a tag match against Flair and Barry Windham, an angle that was the catalyst for the Flair-Steamboat feud of 89. So many great memories of the Superstation. I can just go on forever. 
Market Bash in Baltimore, live on pay-per-view. And joining me from the WCW Executive Committee, Mr. Chip Burnham, injured a couple of weeks back at the hands of the macho man, Randy Savage, who's a little on the nutso side, but that's another story. Uh, the particular language in this contract, Mr. Burnham, if you would paraphrase for us, please. Yes, Gene, what I have here is a document. It is a contract for a match between these two opponents to take place at the Great American Bash June 16th. One fall, time limit, and format to be determined by the WCW Executive Committee. I've been charged to get this contract signed here today. All right, gentlemen, we can uh, tidy this whole thing up if we can get your signature, Lord Stephen Regal. You know the reason why that I asked for this match with you? Because there's other wrestlers coming from organizations, and I'm being overlooked. Don't forget the enemy within sunshine. A uh, little on the light side, the signature of Lord Stephen Regal. Sting, this thing, uh, this challenge kind of coming out of left field... I'm wondering what your sense of all of this is. Mean Gene, I've never, ever said no to a challenge, and I'm not going to say no to this one either. And, you know, it's not like me to be called sunshine by another wrestler, so let's watch the lingo around here. Hey, hey, wait, 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 wait a minute. He's signing here. He's Don't forget to dot the I, bloody yes, Look, The I is dotted. The I now listen, I'm going to make cool. an example of you so that WCW and the rest of the world doesn't overlook someone like me. I'm not standing for it anymore, so just watch yourself. Okay, Sunshine? All yeah. right. Well, watch yourself. Hey, 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 wait a minute. Gentlemen, just a second. He just slapped Sting. This thing has... Can't say that on television. Cut! But you could say the all-time classic Flair skit on TBS had to be from 1987 where Flair defeated Jimmy Garvin at a house show, thus winning a dream date with his valet Precious. After disposing of Garvin, Flair and J.J. Dillon come out on TV the following week with a mannequin dressed in a flimsy nightgown. Flair calls her his own Precious and proceeds to pull out a pair of women's panties from his pocket, pointing to the mannequin and saying, Precious! These are going to be yours. Woo! <laughs> Trading the line of decency, Flair then describes what he's going to do to Precious on his dream date, telling, you know, she's going to ride Space Mount all night long, and, you know, then in one of those classic moments forever etched in, in my memory, in the memory of any wrestling fan that is a Ric Flair fan, you know, Flair brushes back her long hair and starts French kissing the mannequin. An absolutely priceless moment with Flair at his absolute best in his skit, that was borderline obscene. Yes, those were the moments of shame on TBS that fans could not forget. Before Lord Regal and Earl Roberts compete for the first time in the ring, let's take you back and show you the transformation of beautiful Bobby. Where on earth is this fool? Unbelievable. Hey, Lord! Oh, but look at this. All I got left out of a bunch of stones I got one that I've given. No wonder you're trying to use American dollars in English. It's cold here. What on earth are you wearing? Well, I got from my house. I got my last look like a reject from Saturday Night Fever. White socks and black shoes. What? I'm going to a fine dining establishment. I'm hungry. You're trying to embarrass me. people I know here. I'm hungry. Come on. Try to keep yourself in some decent kind of laws. It's cold here. Now, Robert, this is a fine dining establishment, not the kind of place that you uh, American peasants are used to. This will be something definitely new for you. Excuse me, Archie. Do you want to move? No, actually, Fred, thank you very much. He's, he's with me. Thank you. Come on, Robert. I hope you don't mind, Robert. I took the liberty of ordering ahead. You do like beef, don't you? 
Cheeseburgers stuff. No, this is fine British beef. Thank you very much, my dear. Cheeseburgers. Well, what about a drop of wine, Robert? Do you have a boots for Ripple? What? Why could we have the usual, please, Robert? That doesn't go on your neck. It goes on your lap, please. Find yourself some clothes, please. This looks pretty good right here, I think. Look. Nice jacket, shirt, pants. Please go and find yourself some more clothes. Raymond's tea, please. Smoking! <laughs> Raymond, please, a little help. And a word, not a word that you were saying. And now look, your English grammar is quite perfect. I mean, oh, what was I thinking? I, I don't know. I mean, what? now you see what it's like to be in the upper echelons of British hierarchy. You won't want anything else. Life is such a pleasure. Let's go. when it was happening to me. Oh. It used to be the Duke of York that had 10,000 men. Now it's the Duchess. Anyway, Robert, this has been an absolutely wonderful day, hasn't it? I wonder what the poor people are doing. Who cares? So, Brain, there you have it, the transition or the transformation, I guess I should say, from beautiful Bobby to Earl Roberts. And now, for the first time ever, named the Blue Bloods by my cohort here, Bobby the Brain Heaton. Here they are, Regal and Eaton. Lord Earl of Eaton. I'm sorry, Lord Stephen and Earl Roberts, the Blue Bloods. Well, I think it's because they put you down on one knee. You know, like when Shivani interviewed Dusty Rhodes on his good friend, country singer Willie Nelson's farm. What was that about? You know, the chance of we want flair after WCW fired flair in 91, a low point in the company's history. You know, Rube Jones, the ring announcer at center stage, 
Oh, that guy was annoying. That's coming from a ring announcer here. A JR giving romantic advice to Rick Steiner prior to his big date with Robin, you know, Nancy Sullivan woman. Or how about the Sid Vicious Night Stalker debacle, you know, of a match at the Clash uh, of uh, was Clash of Champions 13, Clash 13. Or how about Cactus Jack, like we said, you know, getting amnesia and looking for Dustin Rhodes. Tommy Rich ending the career of referee Tommy Young with a mistimed spot in the ring. Or Terry Funk's attempted murder try on Ric Flair at the Clash of the Champions 8 when when Funk suffocated Flair by wrapping a plastic bag around his head. Or what about the debut of the Ding Dongs at the Clash of the Champions? You know, uh, uh, one of those gems from then Senior Vice President Jim Hurd. You know, picture this. (laughs) Two guys in orange bodysuits and masks ringing a bell in the corner, wrestling in front of a crowd of drunken soldiers in, the, in a gymnasium on a military base. Poor JR and uh, poor Jim Ross and Bob Cottle, seriously damaging their credibility, had to put the thing over on national television. Oh, the humanity! The mo- one of the most disgusting moments goes to Dusty Rhodes and his impersonation of a stuck pig in November of 88. Ah, uh, yes. No sooner than the TBS execs give Rhodes a directive uh, to ban the blade on their show does Big Dust decide to have Hawk and Animal poke out his eye with a metal spike. The aftermath, the ring looking like a floor of a slaughterhouse and Rhodes ignoring the words of the good folks at TBS was forced out of the promotion a month later. Let it not be said that Big Dust was the brightest guy around. At least the dream went out his way. But you can say the all-time ridiculous wrestling moment on TBS, the debut of the Shockmaster at the Clash of Champions 24. This was the brainchild of, of Dusty. And as the artist formerly known as Typhoon comes crashing through a paper partition on the stage, falling on his face and sending <laughs> that terrible spray-painted Stormtrooper mask that... <laughs> he was wearing halfway across the stage. Poor Sid Vicious was doing everything in his power not to bust a gut laughing and looked scared as Shockmaster Scurry did pick up his mask and put it back on and then trying to look menacing. Oh, a flair for the gold segment on TBS. So memorable. I can't begin to imagine how many matches I've watched on TBS. You know, it. It's got to be in the, in the thousands. So many great encounters with guys like Ric Flair, Tully Blanchard, the Andersons, Ted DiBiase, Wahoo McDaniel, Brett Armstrong, the Midnight Express, the Koloffs, Magnum TA. You know, the Flair Sting 45-minute draw from the first class of champions. Talk about making a star of a green mid-carder. Flair did the impossible that night. He made Sting look like a credible contender in a match that easily ranks as the best of Sting's career. How fitting was it then that Flair and Sting wrestled in the last match ever to air on TBS. Then there's the I Quit match between Flair and Funk at Clash of Champions 10. The drama, the blood, the brawl, the storyline, the huge viewing audience, and of course, Gordon Soley's now legendary line, two words, five letters, I Quit. But one that outdistances them all was the Flair, was the Steamboat Flair, best two out of three falls match from Clash of Champions 6. Clocking in at 55 minutes, this encounter stands as the greatest wrestling match to ever air on TBS in its 29 years of broadcasting wrestling. Imagine Steamboat Savage at WrestleMania 3, only 10 10 times better. 
That's what we're, we're talking about here, folks. Flair and Steamboat weren't wrestlers that evening. They were gladiators with talents on loan from God that that set the standard for in-ring excellence in, in the North American territories, a standard that is yet to be matched to this day. All these years, all these angles, interviews, matches, and memories, the likes of, like I said, Rhodes, Piper, Soli, Crockett, Flair, Blanchard, the Funks, Bill Watts, the Andersons, the Koloffs, DiBiase, and countless others have brought us so many memories on the Superstation TBS. As I look back in the background of my studios right here watching an episode of Clash of the Champions, I truly miss those days on the Superstation of TBS and those 6.05 Eastern Time editions of WCW Saturday Night. Thanks for the memories, TBS. Thanks for joining us on this edition of Beyond the Bell. Promotional consideration paid for by the following. Gamefly is by far the easiest way to rent and buy games. Choose a game, put it in your queue, comes right to your door. When the kids need a new game, put it back in the envelope, put it in your mailbox. Done. There are no late fees, and if you want to keep the game, it's less than you'd buy it in stores. One monthly fee, and it just comes to the door, and I don't have to do anything. And there's not just like a select amount of games, but there's thousands. thousands. Are you a gaming family? Then go to Gamefly.com right now and start your free 30-day trial today. Now offering movie rentals. Products shown rated E through E10+. We love Gamefly. You're listening to the Retro Wrestling Podcast, Beyond the Bell. You can listen to Beyond the Bell on iTunes, Player.fm, the SNS Radio Network, Podbay.fm, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, and our official website, btbcast.com. Connect socially on Facebook and Twitter at btbcast. Watch retro videos on our official YouTube channel, btbcast network. Questions, comments, and suggestions can be sent to contact at btbcast.com. Go old school with Beyond the Bell. Every Saturday night at 6.05, I look at the clock and I think back and relive all my favorite memories of World Championship Wrestling. WCW and the Superstation were a perfect pair. And it was fitting that WCW was basically worthless without the TV clearance, the backing of TBS and TNT, Turner Broadcasting. For me, Saturday night's were my sport of professional wrestling nights, if that makes sense. The entertainment side of professional wrestling for me was the WWF, the glitz, the glamour. Of course, that's what got me into professional wrestling. Hulk Hogan running wild, but I tuned in on Saturday night, 6.05 Eastern Time, to watch the sports, the sports side, the athletic side of professional wrestling, the Nature Boy Ric Flair discussing him defending his title all across the country in different territories, discussing the brackets and who will run up the brackets within title contention. Win-loss records meant something. 
blood feuds such as Ric Flair and the Four Horsemen with the American Dream Dusty Rhodes. So many memories. Saturday night was the staple for professional wrestling. Saturdays were, were in general with, uh, of course, the World Wrestling Federation superstars on Saturday mornings and then WCW Saturday nights. Then, then of course, moved to Mondays with the Monday Night War. But over the evolution of professional wrestling, Saturdays unfortunately became more meaningless. And WCW Saturday Night went from their number one program, occasionally with their special live editions, to being the third string show filled with jobbers in which we discussed earlier. And it was really just filler and seeing some of the underutilized talent that weren't really getting the rub or the exposure on Nitro or Thunder. During the latter days of Saturday night, Jimmy Hart was running the show, and uh, it was a different product, to say the very least. Nevertheless, Saturday nights will hold a special place in my professional wrestling-filled heart, and will never forget the impact 6.05 Eastern Standard Time made on the old-school wrestling fan. Content courtesy of the DDT Digest, the Mid-Atlantic Gateway, Soli's Vintage Wrestling, and Kayfabe Memories. Audio courtesy of HighSpots.com, WWE.com, the WWE Network, and YouTube. Next time on Beyond the Bell, we look back at the great American Bash, one of my favorite pay-per-views of the WCW calendar. Until then, this is your 6.05 Eastern Standard Time love and host, your personal ring announcer, Sean Beckerman, signing off. Thanks for joining us on this edition of Beyond the Bell. Remember to always keep it old school, my friends.